Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. And welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing and having a good old chat with Mehmet Jem. Mehmet is the regional lead for the South and West at Pure Physio. In this episode, we cover what is the role of a first contact physio, otherwise known as an FCP. We also talk about content creation Mehmet's got a fantastic Instagram page full of so much helpful information, both to patients and to professionals. So we talk about the role of content in the field of healthcare. Mehmet also gives us some insight into the culture of Pure Physio and kind of shares how he met with the CEO and the directors and how that hierarchy operates and how accessible their leaders are which I think is a really important message. Mehmet also shares his top three productivity tips and so much more. I love this interview. I think Mehmet comes across as just, you know, like he's got a good vibe, high energy, really nice guy, really open and yeah, great, great leader. And I am hopefully this is the first of many more interactions with him. I know you're going to love it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? How am I doing? Yeah, very excited, Tara. Thanks for having me. Apologies, I missed our last rendezvous, so I'm looking forward to today. Thanks. Yeah, you're quite a hard person to track down. Yeah, you know, I don't want to, yeah, I mean, you know, look, busy man. No, I'm joking. I just had to, could have had to miss the last one. But yeah, thanks for your time. My pleasure. So you are part of the Pure Physiotherapy family. And I was just saying, everyone that I speak to that works for that organization is really nice. Finn was like, well, I'll come back on the podcast. I was like, no, I need to see if my assumptions are correct. So we've not spoken before. We've seen each other online. Mm. And I was like, you seem friendly. Oh, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know my secrets. No, I'm joking. Yeah, it's, it's a fair, fair. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, it's good to hear that, though. It's nice to kind of hear that kind of, I guess, assessment of us, which is nice. Who? So you've obviously done a couple of podcasts and spoken to a few of us. So that's good to kind of know, you know, we want to kind of have a good reputation. So I can, yeah, I can say, so I had a contract review meeting with John. I think it might have been yesterday. Chris has helped me out with some problems. That's been, that's been amazing. That's really lucky. Obviously we've worked with Finn and we've got where we've got networks across the country and they already use you guys. So yes, I can hand on heart on 
honestly say I have never encountered a member of the pure team that has ever been just less than professional and oh, less than friendly. Yeah. That's nice. I mean, talk about putting me under pressure now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tarnish all of that reputation is going to come to a blows now. So could you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll try and summarise this, I guess. So my role for Pure, I'm the regional clinical lead for the South and West region. So I oversee you know, mainly the FCP provision, but also we have some clinics in the South and West. I work in Exeter. So I live in Exeter, so I'm in Devon and work in a uh, primary care network in North Dartmoor. And I've been at Pure for about 18 months now. So kind of a, an exciting and progressive 18 months. And then in addition to the stuff I do with Pure, I uh, have my own course. So I kind of teach in the UK and abroad and specialize in hips. So I kind of do some social media stuff alongside that. So I kind of have quite a few things that I do. But my bread and butter day-to-day life with Pure Physio is the, the regional lead for the South. Trying to kind of build up the South region. That's my little baby. That's me in a nutshell. Is that, that's, I don't want to bore people either with my life story. <laughs> and in a personal sense. In a personal sense. Oh, thanks. You care about that as well, Tyler. Thanks. Yeah. In a personal sense. So I've got two young daughters. I've got a three and a six-year-old and a wife. So I'm completely outnumbered at home. Probably hence why I work so much just to try and... <laughs> which is good. Big sports fan. I love all sports pretty much. Football is my kind of number one passion. I love weight training. I love going to the gym. I like trade. I just love all sport and exercise. It's like a big, big passion of mine. You know, I'll, I'll watch anything and really put my hand to anything, albeit probably average a lot of the time anyway. And I've been a physio for about 13, 14 years now. Over that period of time, my hairline's gone, my hair's gone and got grey beard. But in that period of time, I've kind of moved around London and then obviously pretty much kind of moved from there down to the southwest about four or five years ago. And that's kind of like, you know, how I'm spending my, my life really. So why did you, for your own kind of speciality, why hips? It's a good question. When I was qualifying as a physio, I started having an issue myself and I didn't really know much about what the problem was, had to have surgery. And back then I was kind of early 20s, playing a lot of football. And then this stopped me playing and doing any sport for about two years. So at the time, as the thing is with physio, Tyra, when you qualify as a physio, you feel like you know everything, but in reality, you don't know anything at all. Well, I didn't anyway. I don't want to kind of talk on behalf of other junior physios, but I didn't really know much. So I started looking into this hip problem that I had. And then it was just, it was weird because I was just interested. I never sat down. Like I say it often, I never sat down when I was like six years old dreaming to be a hip physio. I was just kind of like, was one day thinking, oh, I want to learn more about it. And then it kind of, as I was then doing post-grad research and a master's, I kind of was then tailoring it a little bit towards that. And then as the years went on, I was like, I actually kind of know a bit. And then I put some kind of content together for a course. And then it all just, weird, it all just randomly just happened. Never really, I never sat down and just planned it out. It just kind of developed really. But it definitely came from my own personal experience that kind of ignited like an interest. And then that became a fairly big passion of mine, which I kind of still do now. Do you think having that knee is important? In physio? Yeah. It is and it isn't. I think it depends what you want to do. Like I'm, I love being busy. I love doing loads of different stuff. I love doing social media stuff. I'm I'm fairly open to stuff like this and recording and filming all that kind of stuff. And then others aren't so much. And that's fine. Like it doesn't, there's loads of people on social media that do stuff that you probably that, that don't doesn't equal quality you know and far from it so some people are quite happy to not necessarily do that so you wouldn't need a niche I'd say but if you're wanting to 
kind of progress in a certain area, whether it be social media, where it's a like professional specialism, it's fairly useful to have a niche. The good thing with mine is I quite enjoy that it's the hip, although probably anyone that specializes in anything probably says they quite enjoy it because it's what they like. But looking back on it now, I think I don't know if I'd be as excited creating social media content if I was a specialist of like bunions, to be honest, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so I feel like I've landed on my feet a little bit with the hip. And why do you use social media? Why is that important to you? And I'd say it's really, I'm like, this sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but I was a bit like, is there something wrong with my hip? You know, like I keep watching you or something. <laughs> like, is there? Maybe I think there is. Like, oh, no. I don't want to induce like some sort of <laughs> catastrophization behavior in my people that follow it. So why do you use social media? So for me, it started off during lockdown. One of my friends told me to start doing it for some one reason or another. I hadn't really used Instagram too much at all. And I was on Twitter, but definitely didn't use it. I was just kind of on it. And then, like, I don't like doing things badly. Like, I like if I'm going to do something, I want to do it properly. I started doing it, and I thought, actually, look, I'm really rubbish at this. Like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't look good. There's no cohesion to it. The username was like my first name, last name, underscore, bracket, dot, dot. For, you know, it just didn't look great. So I did some research into like marketing and, and graphics and stuff like that, just about how to create content. And then I realized the only thing I was posting was about hips because I didn't know anything else. <laughs> so I thought <laughs> I might as well try and kind of tailor this a little bit more specifically. And that and that part was purely to create interest to see if there was any value in what I was putting together from a course teaching tutoring type perspective and then after a while I was like look I know the the most I can offer is to clinicians and to patients as well so I thought like I need to kind of figure out a way that I can reach both of those people because on one hand I was like I've got something to offer as a physio but to a patient and on the other hand I've got something to offer as a tutor or, or a kind of teacher to physios so for me, it's essentially now like my marketing strategy. That's just my way of essentially trying to use good content, but as a way of just kind of as marketing really in a, in a way to kind of do that so I can kind of share decent content, but also just have an awareness of, you know, what's good and what's not so good as well. But, you know, so it's a tricky line to have that balance between what you're trying to offer really from both of those elements. Is it time consuming? It was well time consuming at the beginning. And I think that's what's kind of like played in my favor because it was at a time where I wasn't, I was working. I was lucky enough during lockdown. I still, I was still working, but I had no work to do, if that makes sense, because I was on a private hospital and there was just no work to do. So I had a lot of time, you know, when I was at home doing bits and bobs, a lot of engagement on Instagram and creating content. Like the lucky thing is, like once you get to about six months of creating content, you've kind of got a solid base of being able to then recycle or do spin-offs of the content that you've put together. And like in that time frame, then Instagram kind of changed into using more like TikTok reels and things like that. And the, the type of content changed, but the actual kind of what was within that content was similar as well. So like it's not as time consuming now at all. I can put stuff together quite quickly. And it's probably just because I've got really quick at ed- editing and doing things that I've done for a while before. But beforehand, and yeah, I mean, I was sitting there like at 11 o'clock at night doing some infographic and then I'd post it and I'd think, oh, buzzing, 13 people have seen that. And I've just been up for about three hours trying to put it together. So, you know, that was a bit soul destroying, but it, it pays dividends after a while. And I enjoy it. Like there's not one time that I've kind of felt obligated to do it and I felt, oh, I've got to do it. I've just always enjoyed it. And it's at a point now where I can kind of like, you know, if I've not done something, I'm not worried about doing it. Whereas before when I was trying to grow it, I was always like, oh, I need to get something out. I need to do something. So now it's like not as time consuming, thankfully. 
The reason why I bring it up, I think, obviously there is the social media platforms and we all understand the kind of the notion of connecting and networking, but is there a place and a need for content in the, the business of healthcare? I didn't go to it, but I, I know quite a few colleagues went to a Google event and they were saying that, you know, there is a real kind of drive and a hunger and a passion for good social media content to communicate to patients and democratise healthcare in social media. But I think there are very two different schools of thought. And I think people underestimate it does take time to create good social media content. And it is free, you know, like people like yourself are given it. It is time consuming, even if it does take you long to edit, you know, like to just make sure, you know, the information is correct and it looks polished and things like that. And I think people kind of take that for granted. If you don't do it, you kind of take it for granted. I look at NHS social media content and I think, oh, they could be so much more creative. It's not just putting up an infographic and just sharing it. There's so yeah. much more that goes into creating engaging content. Absolutely. And I think that it always comes back down to like just what are you trying to achieve from it? I think there's loads of accounts, especially in healthcare, like it, there's a lot of accounts where it's just posting like an advert or a picture. Like, and when you start looking into like the nitty gritty of like how these social media platforms work, like we spoke earlier before we started like a lot of it is down to like what's going to compel someone to stop and read and a lot of these algorithms are based on the amount of time you're on a content piece how much you engage with it and then it then pushes up that similar stuff to you so on one hand you could have probably like the the world's leading expert posting something that's groundbreaking and and it won't reach that many people and on the other hand you've got someone who's probably just made something up and talking absolute waffle that will get shared to that it'll push to that million people and you think well you know that doesn't necessarily correlate to the quality of what you're seeing but that's just how it is but then you've got to find that balance of trying to kind of work the system to get that decent content out and that's tricky sometimes but I do think there's a big value for it because it's not that you've got to think like you could pay tons of money for tv campaigns right advertising campaigns and post one thing that potentially could meet the eyes of a similar volume of people for free and yeah. I think that's quite powerful. And I think like that's to, to kind of be able to get a message across like that that quickly. I think it's sometimes worth the time and effort, but it just depends on like if that's the kind of, in, especially in health from a healthcare perspective, like are you getting to the right people, you know, in primary care thinking, well, actually there's a lot of opportunity there to kind of share an understanding in regards to kind of what we do, how it works. And, you know, I've just got to look at the kind of patients that I'll see in a GP clinic whenever I'm working there's a fairly kind of strong correlation towards a particular demographic and age in comparison to probably people who are using social media so just you know you think well could we open up those opportunities and and kind of demonstrate how well it can be utilized to maybe like a different population so you've got obviously your teaching side for the, your hip physio stuff but you also work for pure why do you work for pure why don't you just go all in on your educational business so i've been a physio for for i'd say i think it's for i've lost count i think it's about something like that it's like 13 14 years i think i've been a physio the last 18 months i've been at pure has probably been the most enjoyable nine to five work that i've done I don't know why why it is. I think there's a number of different factors that kind of play. I think on one hand, it's the role for what I'm doing, for where I'm at in my career is ideal. There's a lot of kind of leadership development, business related stuff. So that's on one aspect. I think because of the role that I'm doing, enabling me to do so much of that in a different way to like you would possibly do if you'd had like a nine to five physio job. 
it gives me that variety to the week. Like I think if I was doing three courses a week or like three weekends a week abroad, like one, I got a family, I want to kind of have a good work-life balance. This is now the best work-life balance I've probably ever had. And also the environment is amazing. And the way that I kind of joined Pure was kind of out of the blue, really. So I've been there for the same company, but within that company probably had about like six, maybe like five roles in regards to like progressions and stuff like that. And it got to a point where I was kind of at a, a crossroads. I was like, I don't really know like what the next I, I like knowing a plan and I was at a point where I was like I can't really I can't progress to what I want to do and I did a CPD day for pure so uh, Matt Shutt who's our education and development lead I had done part of my master's with and he kind of invited me to do this session I was like fine it was during I think it was during lockdown as well so I had done like an online half a day teaching I was like you know it's fairly impressive to like go and get an external lecturer put this whole kind of day of CPD together and I just kind of stayed in touch with Finn Shock and, and Matt and this opportunity arose and I spoke to Finn and Tom and I was like, actually, you know what? Like, I'm, I was just well impressed with everything. You know, it's not often that you can talk to a director and an operations director and just feel fairly relaxed. And I got a really good vibe from both of them. Matt spoke really highly about them when I was obviously doing a master's. And I thought, actually, I'll give it a shot. And you know what? The most interesting thing is, Tara, I'm so passionate about primary care now, which is a bit weird. I know, uh, to be fair, this is the least weird place to say that is probably in this environment talking to you. But I'm super passionate about what I'm doing at the moment. Really, really excited with what we have going forwards. When I was doing my interview with Finn, I didn't know what a PCN stood for. Like, I literally had no idea. Like, I was never in primary care, never worked for the NHS worked in private healthcare and I was like I didn't really know like much about it I didn't really know much about FCP which is bizarre now because I'm like like you know it's my, my life really now bread and butter of what I'm doing which is interesting because when I'm now interviewing people or giving someone a job and they're like really really good and I can see look clinically you're sound I know you're going to be really good at the job but I can see in their eyes they're like god like I literally don't know like what's I'm like relax I had no idea what I was doing I had no idea but like you get to learn that this kind of environment is like we just support people to reach their potential for that kind of stuff and Finn and Tom were quite pivotal in enabling me to do that which was quite useful two things before I worked in healthcare so I, I say to people you'd meet people that work for the NHS and they'd be really passionate about it and before I did this job I would think calm down <laughs> <laughs> And now I am one of those people. No, so no. you kind of get, not everybody loves it, but it kind of draws you in and you yeah, do become yeah, sure. really passionate about it. And then the other thing is where you said you weren't kind of brought up in, in general practice, how long did it take you to get your head around primary care and the notion of a primary care network? For me personally, it wasn't too long. Like I'm just like pretty, I just put my head down. I knew what I needed to learn and just learn it. So probably within like a few weeks, I kind of sussed it out, you know, to a point of where I could do my job. You know, there were still things I was learning, things that would pop up. And that's where I think the team that I've got around me really helped. So we've got obviously John, you know, we've got Adam, Richard, Ben and other like leads and deputy leads. It was so helpful having them because just like how Finn and Tom were like approachable, just just normal. Like it wasn't this kind of hierarchy of directors and managers and MDs. It was just like we're all just physios. We're all like similar personalities. And this is just what we're trying to achieve. The regional leads that were there before I started were similar. So I remember probably the end of my first week, I remember this vividly and this kind of stuck out. I haven't told him this because he gets a big head, John, otherwise, but I come to the end of my week and I got a text from John, just something random, like, oh, how's it going? You're right, like, and talking about football. And I didn't really know John too well at the time. And now I'm like, 
I'm in love with John, but but yeah, borderline in love with him. He's a, he's a good too. lad. It's a shame this is recorded because I can't I can't take that back now. So he's gonna probably hear it, but... <laughs> and this is going to be the clip that goes yeah, out. I know this is the sound bite. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> anyway, he's a good lad. And he texts me, and I thought, you know what? Like that just shows a lot. I've not even met him in person. I think that's really nice. But that's the kind of leader that I am as well. I just like to be able to make sure. Whoever's working with us, like, has support, knows that someone's there. And it's just been like that throughout the way. So although I kind of got my head around it fairly quick, you know, weeks and weeks later, I think, actually, I don't know what this is or this system or this, I don't know, maybe a random pathway or whatever. And then we're just always there. And I think because of that, like, I could pick it up quite quick, which was really helpful. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. How many primary care networks do you personally work in, in clinic? Just one, just one. So I have just one in North Dartmoor that I work in. And how many networks are in your patch? So when I joined, there was four. And in the last 18 months, it's increased to 18. And then we've currently got seven that we're mobilising, that we've recruited into, that we're just waiting for. The annoying thing is everyone's got such a blooming long notice period that you find someone, you're like, oh, you're really good. And I'm like, oh, I'll see you in about three months. <laughs> it just takes forever to get anything like But yeah, so actually we're almost, well, I mean, it's just more than doubled. It's gone up like loads really mm-hmm. in the last 12 months, which is great. But that's what excites me. That's what I really enjoy doing because I like kind of seeing we get the opportunity, we get a new network. And I'm like, right, actually, this is kind of the fun bit because now I'm going to go and find someone really good, get it all started off. And like being able to kind of provide that provision is like really refreshing. I kind of really enjoy it. I have never heard of anybody describe that bit as the fun bit. Yeah, really? I love it. It's good. I think I say that because why I asked you the question around how long it took you to get your head around it. And I suppose my experience is very different. It didn't take me that long to understand the notion of a primary care network because I was kind of there mm. at the, the very start. But going from four to 18 networks, yes, a primary care network is roughly the same, but they're also very, very, very different. So in yeah. network A, you might have three practices And they may go, I absolutely understand what NFCP does. Here is my clinical lead. Here are the pathways. This is where this person's going to sit. It's hybrid. This is the rotor. You know, like job done. Yeah. That's exciting. This is our patient cohort. This is our plans for the service. We've got a vision for the service. In another network, you may have seven practices 
four of those practices, they don't want FCP. They don't see the need for it. They want everybody working on site, but there isn't the premises to do that. And there is a real battle. That's not exciting. You know, it's it's exciting winning them round. But when you've got 18 practices that are all at different levels of maturity and understanding, that can be quite challenging. You can. I think what's ha- what's helped though is as we've and you're right, and within that kind of growth that we've had, I've like been able to kind of see that variability where it, whether it's one small rural rural PCN that we've got in the you know depths of somewhere else, or another one which has got five or, or whatever, and then you have some who want remote and some who don't. Those challenges are always there, and I think that's what I really like. Quite, I do quite enjoy trying to kind of work that problem out, and there are strategies around that, and some of that has been. As you, I guess, as you experience it more, your understanding of like how to manage that particular situation, what works and what doesn't, definitely helps you for the next one. So we've been able to overcome those fairly effectively, but it's not always. You know, there are some. Sometimes it, there are just certain instances where that PTN just only want face to face. That demographic, that environment, just isn't conducive to a remote provision. Even though we have all of this data that I love to just bore people with and just show. Actually, you know what? Like in the last year, especially in our region, we had like X amount of appointments. It was fifty fifty remote to face to face, and the outcomes were br- pretty much the same. That's not by fluke. You can't do a year's worth of data with 30 physios and just by chance it be the same. It just demonstrates how like effective it can be. But even then, sometimes they're like, look, we just want a physio face to face. I'm like, fine, that's fine. We'll find you a physio face to face. But that's just part of my job is just being able to understand that PCN's needs, building that kind of relationship with the stakeholders, understanding like this is the process and, you know, what the kind of pros and cons of that are. And just work along alongside that, really. But yeah, you're right. It's never the same. But I think maybe that's why I find it exciting. Is it? It's weird, though. I don't know. Maybe it is weird. But I think I like that. It's I not like weird. It's. I mean, it's unusual. <laughs> What's the exciting? Look, I want to know what the exciting bit is. Is that when everyone's just working and you don't have to do anything? What is exciting? I think for me, and maybe it's. I think it's seeing progress. Yes. Yeah. It's seeing progress and getting to know your peers Mm. uh, getting to know the network but yeah I think for me seeing progress the majority of my day is people contact me when there are problems people never contact me and go everything's working great Tara just letting you know (laughs) like it's like it's always like this has happened this isn't working I'm not happy blah 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 blah. that doesn't excite I mean trying to sort it out once it's sorted out it's the best bit but I it's a deep breath it's like okay but you're right the more experience you have you the more you just think okay I know I need to pick up the phone to you Mm. in REOB or another network okay let's just let this sit let me chat with the CD and then let's go or actually we've got a board meeting coming up we need to make sure we've got our facts if you know I've been in a situation and this contract is long gone now so I can talk about this about share the name of the network but they didn't want to work with Pure anymore and it was like how do I manage that how do I keep my relationship with you guys because it was a little bit of a bolt out of the blue I'm the PCM it doesn't really happen really either it doesn't no and it, it, it doesn't how do I manage the relationships with the PMs? We had two clinical directors and a few very vocal GPs. Mm. So those sorts of challenges aren't exciting. No, but that's, you kind of have to take a step and think, okay, look, how how do I do this and try and everybody come out of this unscathed? Yeah. And it did. And yeah, it, it all worked out. But that happens though. Like I think that's like it'd be amiss to say that those situations don't arise. It's impossible. Like when you're working with people, 
things like that will happen now and again it's just kind of life is business you know no it's, it's impossible for it to kind of not happen now and again i think well, i guess like with, with that side of things yeah you're right it's not an exciting thing but then you kind of learn from that as well when you think well, actually like we don't want that to happen again why did it happen identify those risks and kind of mitigate it going forward thankfully it's not a situation we really kind of come across which is which is good but no you're right you do you do tend to kind of always hear when there's a problem that you've got fixed it kind of lands in your yeah. inbox don't you think oh okay I need the headspace to go and do that now but but that happens but you know I don't I don't mind I think I've I've got to a point now I'm like look these things happen there's always going to be a resolution you just got to kind of figure out calm head what's the plan how to action it and how to implement that outcome really you know it's hard as well sometimes especially like when you're spread out and you're looking over a region it's hard over emails as well that's why I quite like I like seeing people and doing stuff in person as well and a lot of the time you build these relationships with people and it's just like, actually, it's easier just to pick up the phone or see them or go and pop in and see them rather than just sending an email or like five emails. So, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And actually, what also is exciting is when a network says we've got the data and we can see that it's working and we want more. We want more FCPs and I can phone up John and say we need this. And I know that he is going to do all that he can to kind of help yeah. us. So that is really good. I think I did a poster about this not too long ago. In my job, I'm like the face, but I can only do what I do because I'm so supported by other organisations. Mm. So it's very mm. little bit of actually THC. It's who I'm connected to or who knows who. And that's really nice that in this space, I think it's very, it's very collaborative. Exactly. And I think that's and that's what I've noticed, like a lot of the, although it sounds quite big, you know, four to 18 networks, which is, yes. but a lot of that has come down off the back of, and, and this is because everyone asks me this, they're always kind of like, how is, how does it grow? Like, what, how has that happened? Like, what is that kind of that journey? And to be honest, my answer is always the same. Like, if you've got a group of clinicians who aren't happy, aren't well-led, aren't enjoying their work, like ultimately, if you, in any situation though, right, in any situation, if you don't enjoy your work, you're not going to be as good at doing it. Like, you yeah. know, you're going to have that kind of drive, you're not going to be motivated, you're not going to have that passion. That will in some way reflect in the work that you're doing, whether it's leaving the quality, the way that you're treating, seeing patients or whatever. Because we put so much focus on that and there's so much focus on quality, looking after the clinic, because, yeah, we want it to be busy, but actually it has to be quality. And to do that, you need to have a great clinician that's well supported. When we have that sussed out, then that PCN is thinking, well, actually, look, we're on to a winner here because we've got decent FCP service. Patients love it. It's working well. Yes, it's busy. Actually, the quality of what we're seeing is great as well. What I'm going to do is when we're in our next meeting with PCN down the road, we're going to mention it. And that's how that word of mouth will spread. Yeah. And, and actually, that's the most refreshing way to get new networks to kind of reach out to us and say, can you support? Because the thing actually that just is a real pat on the back of the clinicians that we've got just to kind of demonstrate that actually look, you've done a great job and this is how well you've done and we get that so often it's rewarding for them I mean sometimes I don't think they care because they're like look I'm just doing my job but for us yeah. to kind of see it from like a different perspective it's yeah super rewarding I guess what is the vision what are you guys trying to achieve knowing that everybody's got their eyes on the dares and what is going to happen so how do you I suppose there's two questions what is your overall goal and how are you managing the, the uncertainty our vision is to be the number one musculoskeletal pro provider in in England that's our goal that's our vision as a company in various different FCP clinics sports that that's our vision and you know we're hoping to achieve that through various kind of forms so in that respect it doesn't irrespective of the <coughs> 
it's a big part of how you're funded though there's also hope that that will probably likely just kind of have a different guise in what it's going to present as and how that's going to kind of change i think the the amount of impacts these roles have had has been significant i think like and that can't that won't go unnoticed so the whatever kind of outcome from it i suspect will be will be a positive one there's also like a position where you have to think well we can't start kind of predicting things that aren't necessarily i guess like in our control but there's ways around kind of what we're hoping it will transpire as does it make it hard to recruit or maybe because I sit in a slightly different sphere. We have these conversations around the uncertainty, but from where you guys are, do you not care? I think that we don't, we definitely don't have an issue with recruitment. I think we're lucky. We've got a lot of, we we get a lot of interest. Luckily, we've got a great recruitment team that kind of support that because it's quite overwhelming the amount of like CVs and messages and things that we get in. I think that's credit to the company to kind of get to a point in time where people are that determined and keen to meet. You know, an example would, I had, I interviewed such a great guy yesterday. He did so well, a chap called Victor who's joining us. And he was just like a real good example of like a great interview. And I was like really, and, I, and I'm well excited when I interview someone and I can offer them a job I get so excited I'm like buzzing for them because I know how that feels but he was like happy to relocate and we get that so often where people like living in one area of England and they're happy to change because they want to join us and I think that's that's a real credit to like the development of the company as a whole and what we offer and what we achieve they're actually that's the priority and they can kind of see the vision of what we have and our opportunities and, and that's hence why we want to kind of grow and we're growing the business in various different avenues to kind of offer that and with physio especially with fcp it's a fairly it's a fairly tough job to do if you're doing it nine to i say nine to five if you're doing like all day every day it's like mentally and physically demanding because you're kind of having to be on your game all the time so we're trying to you know offer wherever we can like flexibility and blended roles and opportunities to work in other kind of scenarios and opportunities within the business as well so the more focus we have on that hopefully those kind of concerns will be abated anyway have you experienced any growing pains? Somebody, it was like somebody referred to, you know, like the football transfer window, like you guys are signing players like all the time. But I suppose, again, in my experience, going from four to five to 20, it's not smooth. Mm. There is just the natural growing pains of with FCP, you'd like to think everybody, you know, like you've got your core set of competencies mm. that could be relatively straightforward, but you've got an admin team, a leadership management team that sit behind that structure or wondering, okay, which region am I in or yeah, this yeah. network's not happy or I need to get these figures like, and I think that that's what people are interested. People come to the Business of Healthcare podcast, not just to hear isn't every guest amazing? Because that's not life. That's not healthcare. They want to understand the challenges that other people have gone from and or gone through and how they kind of come out the other end. Definitely. I think one of the things that I've definitely noticed in the last 18 months is when there is a, let's say, not an issue at all, but let's say, for example, there is an area of, like you said, let's call it growing pains, for example. Yeah. Let's say like in that last kind of block where we've had such a big growth in our region, the, the sit that's because that growth has been reflected elsewhere as well. It's not just in our region, the same yeah. growth you've had, we've had a, across the country, you know, we're, I think it's like 120, 130 PCNs now nationally. But with that, one of the things that we identified now is, yes, we're, we as clinical 
leads are there regionally to provide that support. But what about, like you said, what's going on behind it? And that from an operational perspective, we we identified as needing that support with an operation lead. So we're actually now got a, a lady called Chrissy who works with me, who's, to be honest, like she's been with us now for a couple of months. And it's at a point where I'm like wondering how we manage with, without her, because the amount of work that she does and gets through that kind of pings in my inbox or she's got access to my emails and then t- on Teams, I'm like, I, I don't know if I would have actually had time to do any of that stuff. Like, and I'm like, and all the processes operationally are so much better since she's been there. I'm like, how would I even, like, how was I getting by doing it before? Like, and I'm really organized at work. My wife, if she was here, would run in and scream and like say that I'm lying because in my real, in in reality, I'm a mess and I forget everything. But like at work, I'm like trying to put all my kind of focus on that. But even like with that growth, I'm like, well, actually, I was doing it my way, but that wasn't necessarily the most like optimized way of doing it. And now we've got such a kind of that we're in that kind of transition of having new starters come in and and trying to kind of like navigate that. That operational support has been paramount in our progress. So I think that's definitely helped us work through those growing pains. And I think credit goes to obviously the you know board and, and directors that kind of identifying them needs as well to support. Give us your top three productivity tips. Definitely, I would say, <laughs> so, okay, not personal, this isn't necessarily going to work for everyone. Number one would be work when other people aren't working. This is what works for me, because I get I can get distracted quite easily. If something pops up, like I want everything done. I hate having like a, a to do list that isn't being done. So if something pops up, I'm like always doing it. So trying to maybe start a bit earlier when people aren't at work or even this is once my kids are in bed and my wife's in bed for half an hour I can get quite a lot of work done when it's just silent that doesn't work for everyone that just works for me and it just gives me a bit more flexibility during the day knowing that I've not got like tons of stuff to do because I can start the next day I'm like everything is done and I've just got a fresh head so that helps me Number two would definitely be to use the do not disturb on your phone when you're working. And like for any clinician watching this, actually, that works, but even in a leadership position that do not disturb or even even do not disturb on teams. Right. Like if I'm in clinic, I'm like, I can't deal with like my patients and then having all this stuff popping up. So definitely utilizing that is has, has helped me massively. And and for me, I'd say weird, it might not suit everyone, but exercise really helps me just kind of focus and pure really enables that as well. Like, cause we're so big on like exercise and lifestyle yeah. and social well-being. I had a I had a short gap before this actually, and I had a meeting with one of our clinical leads, Ed, and I just was I sat back and I was like, I was like, Ed, I need to like, I need to just go and like vent and just do so. I, I you know, went and did some training and then came and spoke to you. And I'm like, actually, I'm feeling like completely on it. And it's great. So I think yeah, exercises for me is another kind of driver for sure. Are you a big reader? No. <laughs> I want to be. I really want to be. Like I re- and I read like so sporadically and when I do I read like well intense and I just get it done but like my wife bought me a book it's a book it's Stephen Bartlett as I listen to him like aside from this podcast the only other podcast I listen to is this diary of a CEO and he's do got Do you a book. listen to this one? Really? Well, I listen to two now. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I had to be polite, right? I didn't want to sit in front of the guest of a podcast and say, the only podcast I've listened to is not this one. <laughs> I'm just being polite. But I will now, I promise you. You don't um, have to, but you kind of Also, I have to go. <laughs> And she bought me this book and I started reading it. And it's just like, I don't know, because I think I love when I'm at home, when I finish work, I just like being present and just being at home with the kids and my wife and just not having to like look at my phone and stuff like that. And then by the time it gets to like the time of where I'm going to read a book, I'm like, I can't be asked. I'm like, just.
just I've, been, I've had such a like intense day that either the only other spare time I've had has been sorting out the social media stuff or doing a bit of work in the evening I'm just like I don't like I just want my eyes not to read stuff but then on a holiday I love it you know I read everything really pretty much I'll rephrase that let me let me read that <laughs> what I've done there is I've just completely lied to your face <laughs> we've only just met and I'm completely lying to your face how rude it was actually the complete opposite is what I was trying to say is I don't read everything I'll read like imagine what if you watched the documentary what that would be in a book basically so kind of real life stories whether it's like military SAS like biographies but I'm not really a fan of like Harry Potter and like that kind of that kind of vibe what has been the like one of your most favorite podcasts from the diary of a CEO it was one on a I don't know what his job was but he was like an interrogator for the FBI because I, I like the other ones when it's like kind of you know comedians and whatnot it's a bit more light-hearted but that one was really interesting because it was just going through the way and I can't even remember it now you'd think like it was that good I'd be like etched in my mind all these kind of skills that he had as an interrogator and I, I can't even remember any of it I just remember listening to it I was thinking like it's so interesting listening to that because so much of what we do as a physio is like listening asking the right questions kind of interviewing someone as well and trying to get that information out of them that it kind of resonated with me obviously in the situations that I've got it's not really life or death and no one's under duress it's just more like they've hurt their ankle but this was really interesting because it was like these are scenarios where there's like a you know suicide bomber or someone's being held hostage and it was just like these different kind of interview and questioning techniques that they went through I found that fascinating and that's definitely one that I, I remember listening to and I was like oh I really enjoyed that one the other ones kind of are just more like you know you listen to it it's nice to listen to we don't really take yeah. take too much away and some to be honest sorry the ones that I don't really enjoy too much are like you know when it's like oh like the like top five ways to become like happy or something like that like I just I don't have it within me to like listen or read stuff like that or like five ways to sleep better or something you know what you know what I mean that kind of self-help stuff for me like just doesn't work I just it, I lose interest so those podcasts I don't tend to listen to but the other ones yeah I found quite useful this is now the top one let's just say that I should have asked you this at the very beginning what is an FCP the best way you could describe an FCP is seeing the most effective and perfect musculoskeletal expert at the right time in the right place for the right kind of management so an fcp is there within those gp practices essentially to offload musculoskeletal care you could say in primary care by enabling the clinician to offer their expertise and guidance to reassure educate build up someone's self-efficacy so their ability to self-manage something but also having that level of expertise where they can safely say that they're identifying and trying to rule out anything really kind of sinister that you don't want to miss so it enables the GPs to have that trust to know that yes they're seeing the musculoskeletal patients but also we trust them to flag up if everything if something doesn't quite fit and by doing so obviously it just offloads that that MSK burden to I say GPs but it's not just GPs you know it's kind of other practitioners within a GP clinic. And I think this isn't pure I'm afraid but I'm currently seeing an F- well physio I don't know if it's FCP a while ago I had a cycling accident and I've been on painkillers ever since and I kind of put in my repeat had the joys of filling an e-consult again to get my prescription and I got a message back to say I've seen that you've been requesting this medication would you value and want to come and see an FCP and I was a bit like oh sounds really bad but you know like I didn't want to interrupt work yeah and then I thought do you know what Tyrus down the road they did say you can have it virtual you can have in but it'd be great if you can come in so I went in and it was just so he was amazing it was so so good oh, but he did good. say to me you know like he didn't say it in these words but it was like what are you going to do Tara this is mm. what I can do for you 
the message I just want to share is like, when you see a physio or any healthcare professional, I wanted him to just make me better, but he can't just make me better. I have to do the work. I have to do the exercises. And I've got, we've got a goal. The goal is that in September, I'll be back running ultra marathons. And you'd think, I've only had my shoulder. Why can't I do that? But it's really painful to run whilst the shoulder hurts. But yeah, so I've had a fantastic, and I've also used Chris and I use that virtually. And again, with Chris, that instance, it was around my knees and it was just that felt and no it wasn't but it felt like magic but like oh my god so now if that thing happens again I know what to do to be able to kind of to release that pain so it's a it's a partnership you can't Absolutely. just go or don't go once and then not do the work and then wonder why you've still got the issue yeah well that's why I see so much, and I guess that's why I'm so really big and biggest advocate for it because I think there's so much like if you've got a decent clinician and there's loads you know pure other providers in whatever like there's tons of great FCPs out there and I think even at just any physio I think like the number one the number one thing that realistically that you can do is reassure educate and then and support someone like physically and psychologically I think if you start to do one or the other that kind of like that dichotomy doesn't really work you've got to kind of have all these things working and if you've got someone doing that like for you the exercises kind of giving you that confidence showing you like it's almost like self-empowerment like that's so powerful and I think like although 20 minutes half an hour for an appointment you think well it's quite short but actually if you've got an expert clinician that can build rapport within two minutes then actually you can get tons of stuff done in 20 minutes and the best feedback that I see when I'm going through the clinicians isn't like oh I went it got me back running or she got me to do a swim or whatever. It's like I left feeling supported and listened to. And I shared one of the feedback that we had from a physio of ours called Catherine, who works for our PCN in Worcester. And it was her first couple of weeks. And it was like, and you bear in mind, for to leave feedback, someone's got to go out their way to click on the link, fill it out. It's like a paragraph. And it was like, never felt so listened to. It was a really great experience. I feel so valued. Like I feel really empowered. I'm thinking like she's been there two weeks and like she's making this kind of an impact in 20 minutes. And I think that's just such a great demonstration of what you can do. It's not all about like massaging, rubbing and doing a theragun or whatever, whatever it is. Thera, I forgot the name of it now. Whatever. Yeah, the vibration <laughs> done anyway. You know, there's other things that you can do that are so much more powerful. And I think that's why I'm a big advocate for it. I think that is the perfect way to end this interview. People want to get in touch with you. Where is the best place to find you? LinkedIn is a good one. LinkedIn. I I tell you what, you can find me anywhere. My email address is memet.gem at purephysiotherapy.co.uk. Probably people are thinking I have no clue how to even spell Memet, let alone remember the email address. I'm sure we can share that. But I'm on every platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, email, Pure Physio website, MySpace, all of it. You'll find me somewhere. <laughs> You're not still on MySpace. I'm joking, right? obviously not. Of course, <laughs> that's not even that's not even a legitimate website. I don't think is it. Thank you. But anyway, so you'll find you'll find me online anywhere. That's fine. But yeah, direct. You can even just leave a message through the Pure Physio website as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. 
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.